shit. What in the name of Jesus H. Christ are you animals doing in my head? Why is Private Pyle out of his bunk after lights out? Why is Private Pyle holding that weapon? Why aren't you stopping Private Pyle's guts out? Sir, it is the private's duty to inform the senior drill instructor that Private Pyle has a full magazine and is locked and loaded, sir! All right, boys and girls, let's get to it. Seminars, all seminars in Wichita Falls. April sold out, so the next available seminar will be June 11th through the 13th, and then after that, August 13th through the 15th. For camps coming up, we do have a coaching development camp on May 8th in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. That's covering how to coach the squat. For lifting camps coming up, we've added a couple self-sufficient lifter camps to the list, both in Wichita Falls. One is May 15th, and the other is July 10th. Those camps will include the squat, the press, and the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. For squat and deadlift camps with spots still available, we have one spot left in Moodus, Connecticut at the time of this recording. That's on April 17th. That'll be in Anino Strength in Central Connecticut. And then two spots left on April 24th in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. Meets, 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 Omaha, Nebraska. Testify Strength and Conditioning, putting on their USA weightlifting meet, their strongman meet, and their strength lifting meet, contesting the squat, the press, and the deadlift. Starting Strength Gyms are chugging along, and not only that, we are looking for folks that want to make a career out of coaching. If you're interested in potentially becoming a coach, head over to startingstrength.com and click on the Gyms tab, and you'll find a link there detailing how to go about the process of becoming a coach at a gym. Greatest part about that is everyone that gets hired gets a signed headshot of none other than Ray Gillenwater. Some people think that's weird, but not me. And as usual, for any details on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday. Makes my nose itch when it's Friday. That's how how I know it's Friday's. My nose is itchy. Yours is too, I'm sure, right? So uh, today we've got uh, our famous on paper question and answer where you submit your uh, hopefully productive questions to uh, us at uh, is radio at startingstrength.com. Is that right? Radio at startingstrength.com is the, is the email address for your hopefully productive questions. But first... Comments, comments from, from the haters. Yeah, this is some pretty, these are pretty good. These are pretty good. We've just gotten through with our show number 100, the anniversary show. Well, it's not an anniversary. Why do I keep saying anniversary? I've said that two or three times. It's not an anniversary. It's just a hundredth show. That would imply a hundred years. 
has now it would imply an annual anniversary means one year right but it'd be that's about two years worth of shit isn't it is it? two years worth of shit so we've been doing this two fucking years are you yeah. serious it feels like a hundred to you <laughs> it feels just like a couple of weeks to me you don't understand when you get old when you get to be 65 one day you know remember when you were three how long a day lasted yeah Lasted all fucking year, right? Yep. And a year lasted, was the incalculable period right. of time, right? When you're 65, a day is just like, and it's gone, <laughs> right? When you're 65, a year is just like, shit, it's they next keep, year. They just keep coming. They just, just, just they're, they're smaller and smaller pieces right. of your total accumulated experience, and it's, uh, did you watch the hundredth episode? Did you yeah, watch yourself? Of course I watched. It's like it. a fucking time machine. Yeah, it was. I, I mean more wrinkles, hair and everything. Hair, and, wrinkles. Oh yeah. Color. Facial hair is great. Color. Color. Yeah. You know, uh uh yeah, yeah, it was uh it's quite an adventure. <laughs> I don't know what happened to all my fucking hair. I think I just started <laughs> keeping it shorter so you could see more skin. Can't I don't think to... I've actually lost that much more hair. It's I think. Uh, oh, it's the stress of the comments from the haters, people that hate me. Like this one here. This the this answered the time old question of which is the pinkest between an uncooked chicken and Rip's face. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Rip won on KO at one minute fifty seven. Now I don't know what that means. What happened at one minute fifty seven? Do you Probably when you had your both hands just in the carcass, right? Cutting it up, breaking good, the bones, you good know, beat. cracking the chest. Uh, and here's one from uh, the, uh, no doubt the hater comments. Bet you could squeeze a gallon of milk a day from those puppies. <laughs> he thought about my boobs, right? That, that is so gross. It really is, you know. I actually knew a kid one time that was taking a bunch of drugs and was actually lactating. Oh, shit. It's so fucked up. I mean, man. it's fucked up now. I hope he is. How old? He was 23 or 4. <sighs> I mean, not that it's any better at 50 or something. No, but... not that it's any better yeah. now, but it's, oh, God. He was a fuckhead anyway. But, I mean, wow. can you imagine having your estrogen level so fucking high that you're lactating a male? I've never, it's, I've never seen it before. Never seen it since. Good. Yeah. Right? Uh, all right. Rip's hand is the same pink as that chicken. I think we're going to start going with ruddy. Ruddy, yeah. Instead of, instead of pink. Yep. Ruddy is uh, kinder, isn't it? It is. It's a kinder statement. And half the people don't know what it means, so. Right. Right. That, right. Yeah, it's kind of a. It's more masculine. Ruddy. Ruddy. A ruddy complexion. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's becoming more and more clear how Rip got that gut. <laughs> Fried chicken is the. Fried chicken is the. Got it. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, 
Here's a fried chicken comment. After seeing Rip in that god-awful towel in Ep 100 of the radio show, it's clearly he eats garbage like this on the regular. Okay. Thus, it is. Thus, it is so. Fried chicken is garbage. Yeah. Can you imagine? Why would you think fried chicken was garbage? Fried chicken that you just fucking made yourself. That I made myself in peanut oil. Yeah. And a nice, big, fresh chicken and eggs and salt and pepper and onion powder and flour. Yeah. High-quality flour. What? These people are, I don't know how you get this stupid, but they've managed. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's why they're the haters, right? Oh, this is an interesting one. All right. Obama Sin Laden says, this video, and this is referring to the learning to deadlift video, our uh, teaching method for the deadlift. Remember that? Is that the one with... Uh, that's the that's, fi- that's the short uh, five yeah. minute, the, really the nice five production. step, yeah, that we developed, you know, in six or seven years ago, two thousand five, whenever two thousand fourteen, thirteen, twelve, somewhere. No, it was no, it was subsequent to the no, the video, the, the that video we shot uh, last summer. Yeah, but it was a redo of the five step procedure that we developed. I think that poster that's up in the gym. Yep, I've had up for ten years. It's in the uh, yeah, but like it's, like the old ten or eleven. It was it was it was probably during when we were with CrossFit back. It was before two thousand ten. I, I saw the five step deadlift setup in the, on the CrossFit videos. Right in oh that would have been oh nine or oh eight. Yeah, somewhere back in there. So thirteen, so fourteen years stuff, ago. If, if so here's it. This video is almost entirely copied, if not entirely copied, from a video that Alan Thrall made in 2017. Please, can everyone that sees this like this so it gets to the top and these bullshitters can stop getting cred for another man's work? All right. It's good. All right. Look, this one, I, I just read through this a little bit, but this is, this may be the most amazing comment from the haters we've ever had here. So I'm going to read this in its entirety. And it's, it's long. Oh, damn. But I think it's, it, it's, it's worth commemorating here. CIN space B. Writes, the absolute disgust I feel when thinking about anything that has even a slight resemblance to anything that might have to do with you and your unholy actions is so incredibly great that when I am honest about it, I think that even I do not possess a consciousness great enough to comprehend my own feelings about it. I, he's overwhelmed. 
When people of Colombia fought to break free from Lungmen, L-U-N-G-M-E-N, countless soldiers fought and lost their lives in favor of a chance for a better future for their children. They did not give their lives to have you fuck the world up beyond repair to the degree that you are doing right now. Honestly, even when technology advances and studies on the subject become more and more accurate, I do not think humanity will ever truly be able to understand what your failure actually means for the universe. My hate for you and everything you stand for is so much deeper than the depths of Shambhala that you could probably take the entire Lungman population down there and back up around 20 million times before you would have sunk to the end of my hate. And honestly, I do not want to exaggerate. But I was, but I think that that insult was low-balling it such a massive amount that all mountains in this world combined would not be able to stack up to this imprecise judgment in light of the fact that when being honest, my hate is almost certainly bottomless. There is no one in this world that has ever loved you, and especially after what you just did. No one will ever love you in the future either. Now, that, that, boys and girls, is a comment Comment from from the the haters. haters. What video was that on? Oh, the 100th episode? It didn't say Wow. It's just a comment from the haters guy's that that guy spent a bunch of fucking time on now. I mean, he needs to write a book. He should. He should. He should. What did he say? Lungman? Lungman. Lungman. What is that? That's something he made up. This guy put a lot of work into that. That's the kind of hater comments we need. See, that's what we expect. The bar, motherfuckers, has been raised. Okay, now, with that burden out of the way, (laughs) we're going to read some Q&A questions today. Here's the next burden, or I have to actually think about shit. Okay, now, says right here, says, says you. Remember that? Says, S-E-Z. You says you you. when somebody says something nasty to you, you say says you. That's fifty years old though. You don't remember that? I do remember that. Do you? Yeah. Where was that? I mean, you said that it wasn't typed on a forum or anything. No, it's just a common deal. You know, common usage. I got it. All right. All right. Says hi, Rip. I broke my scaphoid in 2019. Being done. That's right here. All right. It didn't heal, which is common, and my surgeon went for a scaphoid screw. While waiting for the surgery, which was delayed due to the deadly COVID-19 pandemic, everything else was, too. Oh, he doesn't understand it. He also has cancer now, too. (laughs) They haven't broken that news to him. That was delayed as well. I got bored and so went back to normal training, which caused minimal discomfort. I had the surgery in December. 
even though he was only troubled with minimal discomfort, he had the surgery in December. And my surgeon told me not to lift at all after the cast came off. It's been two weeks since the cast came off. He's now in a splint. He's told me it will be at least another four week before I can lift. While I think it is important to listen to surgeons, I also believe it's important to get a range of opinions. So, what do you think? Will loading my wrist with pressing and deadlifts, being, being guided by pain, four weeks removed from the surgery, undo all the good work? Or in your opinion, will loading the wrist benefit in short recovery? Should I get rid of the cast while I'm at it? P.S. My surgeon doesn't lift. Obviously. Uh, all right. Now, if you had a no-shit scaphoid repair with a screw, but he doesn't want you to load the repair, he's not terribly confident in his repair as a surgeon, is he? You know? I mean, uh, did he fix it or not? Yeah, it was broken before, and now it's screwed together, and now it's been healing up. Uh, some load is necessary for a fracture to heal. The screw just stabilized it in place so that the uh, uh, the fracture line was stable while it healed, but it still has to be loaded or it won't completely heal. So if it was my wrist, uh, what I would do would be squat, press, which loads the fracture in compression, I would deadlift, which, if anything, loads the fracture in tension. That's two completely different types of load across the fracture line. And I would not do anything dynamic. And, I, it, you know, I think that advice is probably good for, depending on how old you are, I think that's probably good for six to eight months. Don't do anything dynamic on it. <clears throat> One thing you omitted is you didn't tell us how you broke your scaphoid in 19. It just says being dumb. Well, there's lots of ways to be dumb. So that doesn't tell us what actually happened on the original injury, but I'd, if it was my wrist, I'd load it. Yeah, that's what I'd do. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying if it was my wrist, that's what I would do. All right. Uh, hello, Rip. I'm 22 years old, 6'1", 240. He squats 450, he benches 280, presses 215, he deadlifts 500. Oh, these are not bad numbers. Uh, I did the novice linear progression, added a bunch of weight to the bar, gained almost 100 pounds, and now I'm starting the Texas method. I read and learned about it from your old article on T Nation. My problem is Monday, five sets of five squats, five sets of five press, bench, and one set of five deadlift and all these heavier weights is brutal and takes me almost two and a half hours with long rests between the sets. What are your thoughts on eating and doing or doing something else during this workout to increase my energy for it? Uh, is it necessary or am I just being pussy? No, here's a, all right, here's what I, I don't understand. Your statement up here. I did the novice progression, added much weight to the bar, gained almost 100 pounds. Does that mean a body weight, you think? I think so. He went from 140 to 240? At 
At 6'1"? Six Boy, he was a nasty little yeah. insectoid motherfucker when yeah, he started, that's wasn't impressive. he? 6'1", 140. That's impressive. And now he's 240, looks like a human. Wow. Man, that is pretty good. Yeah. You know, these numbers are light for somebody that's 6'1 at 240, but But if he started at 140, if he started at 140, he's still right. he's still catching up yeah. with his brain is still catching up yeah. if nothing else. Well, uh, and, and it makes sense if he's just starting Texas method too. It's all yeah, it's all lining up. So he's twenty two. He's six one. He's two four. You know, I don't know. Uh, I've always said, and I I'm not just said this recently, but I've always said that the Texas method is for uh, unemployed kids that live in their parents' basement, whose parents are buying their food and stuff. It might be him. Might be him. Could be, but. Uh, you know, he's just going to have to decide. I mean, it works, works very well for people in that demographic, but if you got to work and you can't do a two and a half hour workout on Monday and a lot of people can't do a two and a half hour workout on Monday, you need to do a different intermediate program like the four day split. I think most people entering intermediate training need to do the four day split I think Texas method, if anything, is a luxury because it works so damn well, but it is a luxury for people who have the fortunate circumstances that are necessary to be recovering from that kind of a workload. Monday's awful. Monday's like being, you know, dropped off a building. That's a hell of a bunch of goddamn physical stress, and it's intentionally so. And if you are eating enough and you know how to gain weight, so you obviously are, then uh, you can uh, you can get recovered from it. But I don't know. I don't know enough about your individual circumstances, but I think that you might want to take off of the Texas method a couple of months and try the four-day split and see if that doesn't work better with your situation. And it might. Might but very I, well work better. If he does four days, he could still do the same thing it'd still be a texas method you just break it up over two over there is a four-day texas method yeah. in the book <clears throat> and, and you know it's not the same thing as the four-day split well but. what's the benefit of doing three days versus four days i don't think there's any benefit there i don't think there is either and there is it just frees up the other four days for recovery right. is the primary it's why we did it like yeah. that but it's uh the the four-day split, the classic upper body, lower body, four-day split is not as stressful. It doesn't require as much concentrated recovery effort as does that brutal volume day on, on Texas Method Monday. Okay, Rip, will you be moving any of your content to alternate host sites like Rumble, Gab, or any of the others like some other podcast authors have decided to do? Examples like Dan Bongino and the Dan Bongino Show come to mind. Since YouTube and Facebook, etc., ad nauseum, have decided to silence more conservative voices. I realize your content isn't high on their list of subversive, at least in their pea-brained minds, uh, because to them your show appears to be centered around strength training, etc. At this rate, sadly, it's only a matter of time before they learn your dangerously narrow-minded conservative opinions and get around to silencing your treasonous voice as well. Again, just to be clear, read that with a heavy dose of sarcasm. 
I would follow you to Rumble or any of the others in a heartbeat if necessary. I bet most, if not all of us, would do the same. Well, what well now, that is an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah, because but what he's talking about is moving to just another right. third-party platform. Another third-party platform. We've right. got something better yeah. that we're going to do. And uh, I'm getting Nick to tell you about it since he's the one engineering this thing. Uh, we don't plan on using, uh, on relying on any third-party platforms. Uh, and we're going to do it better we're gonna than do that. It ourselves. Yeah. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to put our video, our premium video content up on a subscription basis on our website uh, using another service. And uh, those of you that, uh, uh, are interested in our premium content. We haven't decided the, the subscription rate yet, but it's not going to be much money. And, uh, uh, but the primary, uh, uh, value of this is, is it moves us away from someone who can deplatform us. Yep. And, uh, yep. I mean, what, that's, that's what, basically it. What we talk about seven ninety five a month or something like ten. that. 10 a month. 10. Nine ninety five a month, something like that. Discounts for annual. Discounts, an annual subscription would be cheaper than right. the aggregate yep. amount. So yeah, we're see, we're see, still talking about all that, but it's 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 going to be cheap, and it will it will allow us the luxury of knowing that we uh, will never have all of this all of this material taken down. And I mean, we're in the process of permanently archiving all of our stuff right now so that it can't be lost in some accident. Right. And uh, The other benefit is we get to talk to people directly because right now when you put something on, you know, we put a video on YouTube. We were looking at this the other day. Your your podcast gets, let's say, 10,000 views, and 20% of those max are people who are actually watching the entire thing. You know, right. so most of them are dropping off after the first couple minutes or, you know, comments from the haters or something. And they're just they're just gone. So, uh, yeah, we get to talk to fans directly. Yeah. Those of you that actually appreciate this insanity uh, are going to be uh, you know, our primary target for this thing. We're we're happy to have, you know, passersby look through the window, which is what happens quite a bit. But. We're, we spent a lot of time on this, and, uh, you know, we we spent a lot of time writing articles and doing videos and stuff, and we're doing it for you. We're not doing them for the guys just looking through the windows, passing down the sidewalk, and uh, we're, uh, I don't think we're asking a lot of you to pay us a little bit for it, and I think you'll gladly do it, and uh, we're not going to make it onerous or burdensome, and... Uh, It'll enable our quality to go up over the long run. Our quality will be better. We'll uh, be able to spend more money on production, things like that. And I think you'll see a, a positive benefit from this. So uh, this is uh, coming up here pretty quick. I don't know exactly when, but it'll be probably within a month of the time you see this uh, podcast. And... Uh, We'll just uh, see how things go, you know. Uh, but the, the primary deal is we can't allow ourselves to be. Uh, we can't allow 
our communications with you to be moderated by somebody else. Uh, to, to go back to the, to the censorship thing, YouTube has just added another step to, so they can watch videos and censor them harder. Um, I, I just saw it last night whenever I uploaded the video. So, yes. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're just cranking down harder and harder. Right. Now, they're, now they're, that they're molded. Disinformation can't not be tolerated, you understand. So... And the uh, problem with other platforms, Gab and Rumble and all these other things, is you don't. We don't have any idea which one's going to be the one that that comes out on top, right. or that just disappears, or that changes their policy. Changes their policy, you know? Yeah, you don't you just don't want to be subject to that you stuff. Know, We're putting this much. I, I mean, uh, you know, ten years ago, no one would have ever thought that, you know, any of the platforms would be behaving like right. they are now. So yeah, a company like Google, their their mission statement up until very recently was don't be evil. <laughs> right. And they they very quietly just removed that. No, very quietly became, <laughs> the mission statement became, became Skynet. be evil. <laughs> be evil yeah. and do it well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's what's going on. So good question. Thanks for that. Uh, this is a good question. What is it about humans that allowed us to evolve with the belief that anything complicated is better than simple. It's an excellent question. Yeah. It's an excellent question. Uh, I think that people in... Um, People arrange themselves in society in a pecking order. All right, everybody's familiar with a pecking order. There are alphas on top, and then the betas are underneath that, and then the poor little omegas running around are, you know, the people you see in the grocery store with a mask on. No, the, in their <laughs> and, car. In, in their car. Oh, they're the ones that are walking down the sidewalk yeah. in their mask. Right. Uh, and the ones on top are assumed to be smarter than the ones in the middle, and the ones in the middle are assumed to be smarter than the ones on the bottom. And I think that when one in the middle is confronted with something that is sufficiently complex that they're impressed about the complexity. They see it's complicated. They see that it's, uh, it's perhaps, whether it is or not, uh, over their heads. They're not able, to, not able to understand the reasoning. Their assumption is, well, you know, I can't understand this because it's sufficiently complicated, so it must be good. It must work. It must be better because it's coming from people who I regard as smarter than I am. And it may or may not be true, right? So starting strength comes along and says, you know what? You don't have to do 19 different leg exercises. You just have to squat. And people in the middle say, well, but, you know, uh, you know, good athletes do 19 different leg exercises. So they, they say, people in the middle say, well, Tom Brady does We don't even know who Tom Brady is. Who the fuck do we know? 
but but he's the best. So, you know, and he's smarter than we are because he's the best, and he's on top, so he's smarter than we are, and he's the best, and he does all this stupid shit. So we should do all this stupid shit too, and then they look at our program, which says, look, squats do all of the shit better than Tom Brady's program does. And all you got to do is figure out how much you can squat for three sets of five right now and then go up five pounds. And they go, it can't work. It's not complicated enough. It's not only. It's, it, it's just the feeling they have. Yep. It's not an analysis they have. It's not a feeling they have. If it was an analysis, there is the famous philosophical principle called a comms razor. Occam's razor. I haven't ever figured out how to pronounce it, but I know how to spell it. Occam's is the O C C A M apostrophe. Occam's razor. Occam's razor. That when given two explanations for a for a phenomenon, the simplest explanation is the one that is preferred. That's simply stated. That's the that's the principle, and. If I tell you that you come in to squat and you do three sets of five, and then the next time, the next time you come in to squat and you do three sets of five and you go up five pounds and you keep doing that, that eventually your squat will go from 135 to 315 and you'll be stronger. And stronger is what everybody wants to be because stronger is, you know, for all the reasons we keep talking about. Well, that's too simple. It's not sufficiently obtuse. It's not arcane enough to possibly work. This shit must, to the common human being with a 105, it, if it's not sufficiently cryptic, it's not impressive to them. So some idiot comes in with an undulating periodization wave and shows the, you know, the, head football coach with a 105, you know, look at all this complicated shit we're going to do for strength conditioning for the team. And, uh, you know, constantly varying uh, exercises and constant variation loads and all this other shit. And, and uh, he says, because he's just a simple football coach, he says, wow, that's probably, that, that looks like it'll work. Let's do that. And, uh, and then coupled with that limited perspective, he's also got an authority complex. So that's what we're going to do. And so everybody does it that way. So, uh, you know, but as to why complicated is better than simple, I think it's way deeply embedded in in uh, in human society. I think it's a has to do, it grows out of, the respect for authority that all social animals have. And uh, that's only thoughts on that I've got. Simple's you also get, harder. Simple's harder. It's harder. That's Simple, well, in, in this particular circumstance, you getting under 310 for a set, for your last set of five, and not knowing whether you can do the fifth rep of that last set of five, is certainly harder for you to do than it is for you to invent a new way to use a 10-pound dumbbell on a balance ball. Right. One's more complicated, the other's harder. Yep. Yeah, 
simple comes with hard work. Yep. Simple, simple comes with hard eventually work and, gets hard. And that's a big determining factor in what's gonna what people are gonna allow to distract them. Right. And you don't change from hard until hard stops working. And it will. Eventually, we have to get more complicated at some point, sure. but not now. Yep. Not when five more pounds is working. And people are just, they, I don't know if it insults them or what it does. I think maybe they're just, really, you're right. They're just lazy bunch of fuckers. Everybody's just lazy. They don't want to do the, they don't want to get under that last set of five. Knowing that the fifth rep is going to be harder than anything they've ever done before and actually carry the thing down to the bottom of the squat and try to get back up with it because there's the question, what if I fail? Yep. Well, what if you fail? Then you fail. You know something now you didn't know previously. You got data. But... Uh, you've, got the, you've, got the, the, you've got the comic across the street with the little skinny guy. And he's going through the list of all the things he does for legs. Right. And then there's a big, huge guy next big, to huge, him. Big, strong says, guy what says, what do you do for legs? And he goes, squats. squats. <laughs> Which one's harder? Doing 25 different leg exercises. Even if you go hard as hell, quote, unquote. On lunges. Goes, you know, what? Yeah, how <laughs> hard just, can you really, how hard really is that? It's you know? not as hard as that last rep of that third set of five. It's not ever going to be as hard as the last rep of the third sets set of, of five eight. that you don't know sets you Sets of do. eight feel like shit, but sets but, of five are harder. Sets of eight feel like shit because you're more fatigued right. on the eighth rep than you would be on the fifth rep, but they're also lighter. That's right. Sets of 10 are lighter. Sets of 20 are lighter. You know, I think all of us have gone through that sets of 20 phase. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even I, <laughs> even I, was uh, distracted by that about 25 years ago. You know, because Dr. Randall Strawson wrote, wrote that brilliant book about doing sets of 20 super squats, and it doesn't work. Yeah. doesn't work. Doesn't doesn't do shit except test your psychology. Those things are a test of psychology. Now, I would say they're valuable for that, but they don't make you stronger. They don't make you any bigger. They don't make you any stronger. They just they teach you about your limits, and they have a... They have a, uh, a value with respect to that because you get down to the 15th rep and you didn't think you could do the 14th one and you don't think you're going to get this next one and then you do the 16th and then the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th rep. That's kind of the same psychological process that goes into doing the last rep of that third set of five. The problem with them is they're not heavy enough to make you stronger because the first rep of that set of 20 is exactly light, like the fifth, like the 20th rep of the set of 20. They're not strong, not heavy enough to make you any stronger. They test your brain. Do them. Hey, it, it's good education, but it's not strength training. Right? It's not strength training. Figuring out a way to do the last rep of the set of the third set of five is strength training. So, let's see. Dearest Rip, I am currently on a linear progression, have been for the past two months. Numbers are 225 in the squat, 120 press, 165 bench, 
deadlift 265. And I'm assuming these are sets of five, but he doesn't say. So there's valuable information left out. I don't know why these would be singles if he's on a linear progression for two months. Shouldn't know his singles. Body weight's 218, he's 5'6". He's 29. So he's not having any trouble with his body weight. Okay? Might be a little fluffy, in fact. But that's better than a little beanpole, insect, arachnoid-looking fucker. All right? I'm struggling to set my back during the lift, even when doing my warm-ups. I've tried the chest-up cue and Nick's belly between the thighs cue. I'm still having difficulty setting my back, especially my lumbar spine. He's He's got short arms, short legs, and long torso. Ooh, that's the trifecta of yeah. death. Yeah. That makes things tough, there's no doubt. My inseam length is 28. And my lockout during the deadlift is maybe an inch below my hip crease. That is short arm. I read through the forums and found out that this anthropometry is not the greatest for this lift and may be part of my problem. You know, it could be that your fingers are short, too. I mean, with all this... have anything to do with him setting his back, though. With all of this chaos, you know. Uh, do you have any suggestions for modification to lift or resources to help me out? Or do I just have to suffer through it? I'd like to stick to the conventional setup if I can instead of switching to sumo. Well, you know, without a video, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We don't seem to have problems with a wide variety of people doing the conventional deadlift like we teach it. Um, you know, you very well may have a little bit more horizontal back angle with this anthropometry than a lot of people do. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I, there are just not going to be very many circumstances under which I recommend that you do a sumo deadlift. Cue a video just, of, of Will Morris. That's you know, exactly I mean, Morris, Morris is disadvantaged. <laughs> In a similar way. I think he had to have that extra pair of arms that come off of him at about about T8. You know, that belie his uh, arthropod ancestry. Had to have them removed recently, surgically. It's like there's room for it. He's like one of the Martians in, you know, John Carter of Mars. Oh, right, yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> And he's fine. He he's fine. deadlifts in the mid fives, I think. Deadlifts quite a bit. Uh, so I, I don't know that this is something that uh, that you uh, are going to have problems with in terms of anthropometry, but now you're being able to set your back to an entirely different situation. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you how I have uh, just emergency uh, teaching on this, I've dealt with people over the years that were just spasmoids in terms of controlling their back position. And what I would do is start them at the top in, in the rack. I would have them stand in the rack, set a, set a bar in a rack pull position. Doesn't matter where. And I'd, without the bar, I'd, I'd teach them to extend their low back. 
put low back unit extension, arch the low back, whatever it takes to get the erector spiny group in contraction so that the lumbar spine is in extension. I would do that so they knew how to make the muscle contraction. And then I would start the process of flexing the hips. Typically where this breaks down is you go into hip flexion and your low back wants to come out of extension to permit the hips to flex without any tension on the hamstrings. It's like you're afraid to stretch your hamstrings. So what I've done in the past is taken people at the top and just piecewise just work them down into a lower and lower position of hip flexion and taking them down to the position where their lumbar spine unlocks. I reinforce that feeling. You feel that unlock? Yes. Now come back up a little bit, reset it, and let's go back down and just gradually work them down into a position where uh, with a bar in their hands, three, four, five inches below the knee, they're able to get into and maintain an extended lumbar spine. Thoracic extension's easy. That That's never a problem for anybody. Just lift the chest. It's thoracic extension. That's, that's never the problem. Problem's always lumbar. And the way we, I, and I fixed idiots this way. You just have to teach them how it feels as it progresses from an easy to set position into the hardest to set position was at the, which is at the start of the deadlift at the start position with the plates on the floor. You take it from the top down. Now you can get somebody to help you with that, or you can figure out how to do it like that on your own, but it involves the principles in the book, feeling the lumbar extension, recognizing when it's in extension, when it's not in extension, and how to get it back into extension after it comes out of its arch. Okay? We've got another video called Fixing the Hard Cases that Fixing. shows a similar method, except from the top, from the bottom up. Right. <clears throat> Let's do one from the top down, why don't we? If we can find somebody to do that with. Is that you want to start with one when in a position that's easy? Yeah. So I, I have a, I have in the video I have the lifter uh, just in the rack in a rack pull position, learning to set their back with no hamstring mm -hmm. tension, and then lower the pins, practice it again, lower right. the pins, practice it again, until they get it down to the floor. Oh, so you're starting from a position up and right. then going down to the floor. Yeah. You'd exactly. said you're starting at the floor and coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. I said that backwards. <clears throat> I no, mean, not, no, that's the same thing. Yep. That's the same thing. Uh, if for the real hard cases, you have to stand them all the way up completely erect and then show them yep. the lumbar extension and then piecemeal them down, even through the, the even at know, the lockout, right? Even at the lockout. Yep. Because some of the real hard cases will not, they just don't know what extension feels like. Right. Okay. Hi, Rip. I've heard you mention Deadwood a few times on the show. My question is. Have you seen the movie Tombstone? If so, what are your likes, dislikes, thoughts? Thanks, Ben. Ben. Tombstone is the children's version of the story about Wyatt Earp and the OK Corral. That's the children's version. 
right? If you want to watch the children's version, and a lot of people prefer the children's version, but the best version of that story that has ever been filmed is in the movie Wyatt Earp. That's a Kasdan film. Uh, Kevin Costner's in that, and he plays Wyatt Earp. And, you know, I, I, I watched Wyatt Earp uh, many times, and I always thought that, uh, that Costner's performance as Wyatt Earp was uh, the weakest in the cast. But the more I read about Wyatt Earp, the more I think that maybe Costner was right on the fucking money with that. The man was very calm, very chill, very deadpan the whole time. That's just the way the guy was. And maybe that Costner, who's, you know, done some good stuff, you know, he, he played uh, that role in Silverado, which is one of the top five westerns that's ever been made, and he was great in that. And uh, but he's he's over the years acquired a reputation as kind of a bland actor. But I really kind of think that you know at this point in time, having seen Wyatt Earp no fewer than ten times, I just love it. I love uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's performance as Doc Holliday. That's that's never been equaled. Never been equaled. Everybody likes. Uh, What's his name? Val, and tomb, Val, Kilmer. Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday. Watch the other one. Watch the other one. You'll see what I'm talking about. Maybe There's, Costner actually researched the role. I think he did. I really honestly think he researched the character. Why? Because I'm reading a book right now about a guy named Tom Clavin about, about uh, Dodge City. And he goes into excruciating detail in this in this book about Wyatt Earp and the brothers and Bat, Jim, and Ed Masterson and all of this, all this stuff. And it's, you know, reading the book and I go back to watch the Wyatt Earp movie and I thought, man, they, this is a documentary. Yeah. The damn thing. So much is known about these people, you know. And even if you'll look at Tombstone and uh, Wyatt Earp, the scene leading up to the confrontation at the OK Corral. Everybody does the same thing. Yeah. Virgil hands off the shotgun to Doc Holliday. They all kind of say the same things. They're all in the same position on the street. This was heavily recorded. We know what happened that day. And they both, both movies get all of that about the same. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know, Tombstone to White Earp, it's just, I, I don't like the way Tombstone was directed. Some of the performances I thought were way better in, in White Earp. For example, uh, Joanna Going as Josie was a, just a much more appealing performance to me than Dana Delaney's Josie in Tombstone. Stuff like that, you know, that just goes through the movie. I've, I've watched them both several times, and I just much prefer the Wyatt Earp, the Kasdan version of Wyatt Earp. Uh, it's a big, long movie. It's an uh, uh, expansive, epic Western. I mean, Gene Hackman's in it. You know, everybody's in the damn thing. It's, it's a, just a fabulous film. Uh, 
And Tombstone is just in the dust as far as I'm concerned. Oh, here's another stupid question. What are your thoughts on Timothy Dalton as James Bond? I don't ever think of Timothy <laughs> Dalton as James Bond. <laughs> don't think of him at all. And Dalton is a great actor. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but I just don't equate him with that role. Have you ever seen The Lion in Winter? No. You ought to watch The Lion in Winter. He's in. This is a fabulous film. It's a fabulous film. It was Best Picture, I believe, in 68. And uh, it was from a, uh, a excellent screenplay uh, that was that was a, also a, a, a Tony Award winning stage play. It was a it's just a it's just a fabulous piece of literature. And this movie has got Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn in it. You know, at the height of both of their powers, and it is just astonishing. That movie is just absolutely amazing. It's one of the best films I've ever seen, and nobody ever talks about it. The Lion in Winter. You need to watch that. Check it out. Something and is- Timothy Dalton's in that, and he does a great job in that. And it's, uh, but I don't think of him as James Bond. No, he's awful, awful as James Bond. I just, I. I hey. can't imagine. He's just not physical enough, right. you know. It's like almost as bad as fucking Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan had Bond. no business being James Bond. Dylan and I was good. Dylan and I was real good. I hadn't seen it long enough to where no. I'd... It's, Look, it holds the, up. All the they, other ones were shit. All the, the other ones were shit. The, there, there has been no better a James Bond than Daniel Craig. I completely agree. I, I, I'm sorry. Sean Connery invented the character, basically, but... Craig can't be. I can't that, we're nothing. Still, we're nothing. Still waiting on that fucking movie. We're still waiting on the fifth one. I know. It's and just it I, I. I don't. Yeah. I just the Daniel Craig uh, character is the Bond from the books. Yes. That's him. Yeah. Go I on. mean, he's he's. Uh, it's never been portrayed that well. Right. Yep. You know, those things are just flawless films yep. too. Uh, I didn't like the second one as much. Quantum of Solace. I thought it was, was it was it was very badly directed. the The movie itself's just fine, but the chase scenes you have to fast forward through them because they were experimenting with that shaky cam shit back then. That doesn't belong in a film. The Bourne movies came out and they were doing all that fast cutting bullshit. Yeah, you can't feel that's just that is what you do if you just don't want people to see what the hell you're doing. Right. You know. So that first, that first chase scene is unwatchable. One of those, yeah, it is. I just fast forward through it. Like a couple of the Star Trek movies, the same damn oh, way. Yeah. The modern Star Trek, you can't watch that shit. Yeah, they're garbage anyway. You know, they're, they're, they're idiots. Blow up Vulcan? What? You, what? <laughs> You're going to blow up Vulcan? <laughs> hey, did you know that the, <laughs> that the uh, tombstone was originally uh, written for Kevin Costner? No, I didn't know that. And then he, yeah. there, those things were with were produced six within apart. six months of each other. Yeah, yeah I know and then that. He, he had a disagreement because uh, it wasn't focused enough on Wyatt Earp, so he left and so worked on the other movie. So that's when uh, uh, Kurt Russell came right. in and took the yep took the role, I guess. 
Well, the the uh, you know, I did, there's just no comparison between those movies, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Back to our original original question: I, if you've never seen Wyatt Earp and you enjoy Tombstone, you need to watch Wyatt Earp. You just really, really need to do that. All right. Okay. Hi, Rip. I've been training to start and strength Denver since August and made steady progress on all my lifts except for the deadlift. My first deadlift shot far beyond my squat rate as expected, squat weight as expected, but in the past couple of months, I've hit a severe wall, repeating weights several times and sometimes only getting a couple of my reps off the ground. I'm hook gripping and using chalk. My rack pulls are 40 pounds heavier, only 40 pounds heavier. It's still making five-pound jumps, so I think we can rule out a grip issue. Well, I don't know that. After all these failures, I find it hard to keep myself from believing I will fail my set when approaching the bar. How do I avoid letting thoughts of failure, uh, from keeping thoughts of failure, what he means, keeping thoughts of failure from creeping in, killing my motivation? I don't know necessarily that this is the primary issue, but certainly frustrating. Makes me dread heavy pulls when I used to enjoy them. And his numbers are, he's 22, he's 6'2", weighs 270. You know, not bad. Squats, four and a quarter for five, 455 for deadlift. So, yeah, he's a little behind on that. He's benching 305. He's pressing 230, which is good. Uh... And his clean is at uh, 198 for five sets of three. So uh, this is this is pretty good numbers for a guy that's been training since August. So he's six, seven months in. So he's, he's doing pretty yeah. well. So there's two issues here. Well, and that, right. that spread it should be about right. Squat versus deadlift. Yeah, well, he's, he's only – he's 30 pounds for a set of five ahead of his squat for yep. – for, and and that he ought to be seventy pounds ahead for a set of five. I agree that he, I think he's a little behind on his deadlift. It's not terrible, but it 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 probably normally we would see a little bit better spread between those two. Uh, so there's two issues. He's hooking and using chalk and. He's, he, so he's probably not having a grip problem, but without watching the set, I can't tell. Sometimes you don't think there's a grip problem, and there is, especially if you're hooked because the sensation is that it's secure when it's actually, if your hand starts to do that over the, over the length of the set, then you're losing the bar. You will not pull hard on a bar that's coming out of your hands. It's just a reflex and you can't do it. And, uh, hell, I proved myself last night that that was not. I was doing haltings at 375. I did four reps. The fourth one was coming out pretty bad. I slowed down, and I'm telling you, my left pec fired. Cramped. Still sore right now. And, uh. You know, and I had pulled 365 with it. This is without straps. Pulled 365 without straps last time I did the damn thing. So I 
figured 375 is going to be hard. I got the fourth rep. That and I rode heavy last Thursday. So I, you know, kind of was expecting some problems with it. So uh, I got the thing up. It was coming out of my hands. And this thing hurt. So I set it down, went over, strapped, came back, did the fifth rep. No problem whatsoever. Peck was quiet. So grip, you have to appreciate the effects of grip on a pull. All right. You, if you're losing your grip, you won't pull the bar. It will affect your numbers. And the way you test this for yourself is next time you deadlift, strap. Strap your set, your work set of five, and see how it feels and see what happens. If you strap the things and you can suddenly do five more reps with the same weight, then you know it's a grip issue. That's going to be something to address. And I don't, you know, it'll be, we'd have to look at your hands and several other things, but that would at least isolate what the issue is. Now, about being a pussy when you come up to the bar. Ryan, that's part of the deal. Like we discussed earlier, if if this was easy, everybody be doing it. But it's not easy. And the fact that you're kind of afraid of the thing is part of the is part of what we're doing here. We're training not just your physical strength. We're not just training your grip. We're training your balls. Right? I mean, you know, I'm not you know, Captain Balls myself, but I've, I've been hurt so many times. Every time I take a heavy squat out of the rack, the a knee injury goes through my head, and I have to just scoot it to the side and think about the procedure. One of the advantages of the system that we have developed is that it gives you something to think about. On every one of the lifts, it gives you something to think about besides the oh shit factor that is caused by how much the thing weighs, right? There is a procedure that you must do to execute the rep, and we have defined that procedure, and, and you should know it by now. When you come up to the bar, and you think, oh, shit, this is going to be heavy. I'm going to miss the fourth rep. That's not what you think about. You think about how you're going to set your back, how your hips are going to be higher than you want them to be, how you're going to take your grip, and how you're going to push the floor down away from the bar. And that's all you think about. Now, the oh, shit part is going to go through your mind on the way up to the bar. Part of the deal. That's why everybody doesn't do this. You know, if it's, it will be manageable to you if you learn to focus on the details of the task. The mechanical task has a series of details for you to focus on. And if you'll learn to focus on those, then you'll be just fine. This, and this may never go away. You know, it may never go away. You may, every time you come up to the bar, 
the next 30 years of your training, you may feel exactly the same thing every time you come up to the bar. It's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. It's what makes you better than the guy that won't do it. Think about it like that, okay? You like that little? That's good. It's almost like professional level throw in. It's the, very smooth. Catches air. Yeah. I think I got that from David Letterman. Oh, that's right. Remember, he, he used to do that. Yeah. He used yeah. to do that through the little right. thing. I never liked Letterman. Oh, when Letterman was, he was first starting out, he was funny. Far superior to Leno. Oh, he, yeah, way superior to Leno. Leno was unfunny. Leno's never been funny to me. Yeah, Letterman, him. when Letterman was, I mean, 25 years ago, Letterman was funny. He was a dry, funny fucker. He really, really was. You know, but, you know, it's, all these people, you know, progressed through the 90s and 2000s. They got more and more left and more and more pussy, and it's just, oh, it's terrible. I miss Johnny Carson. <laughs> Johnny was so good. God, oh my. you kids that didn't get to grow up listening to Johnny Carson with your dad at night. That was that was cool. Watching the Tonight Show with Daddy in the living room, I was Still, still miss that. It's great. All right, here is Derek Rothman. He's 240, six one and a half. No, six foot and a half. That's an awful careful assessment is of that a man. Six height. feet six inches or six no. It's six, six foot point five inches. <laughs> and he's thirty six years old. You know, you vary an inch and half in height from he's, the he's, height. He's right, six and three months old. He's yeah. six one when he wakes up, and he's six he's, when he goes to bed. Yeah, yeah. He's, that's, <laughs> what I, neurotic, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, he'll vary guy. a half inch during <laughs> yeah. the course of the day. But he's, all right, so he's finished his novice linear progression. He's starting to fight for gains. Knee injury is a preteen. Low bar, heavy squats are rehabilitating my knees, but I was afraid to get weightlifting shoes at first. Because of my bad knee. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Why would you think that weightlifting shoes would hurt your bad knee? Because you think it's going to force your knees too far forward? Well, you know what you do when you get your weightlifting shoes that want to force your knees too far forward? You keep them back. You're still in control of your technique, not the shoes, right? Now that I have shoes, I feel they can help posture even more, but I'm forced to go down and work weight because I was using the quads too much and never muscle groups require, never muscle groups require strengthening. I think he means newer, newer muscle groups. The muscle groups are all the same age though. You just hadn't been training them correctly. <laughs> So I pushed so hard today with 270 pounds. All right, now this guy's 240 pounds of body weight, six foot tall. In my first set, I saw stars on the fourth rep, pushed through the fifth anyway. Well, that's good. Heart rate took 20 minutes to recover. Took 20 minutes to start to recover. No, I think you had a heart attack today. That's what I'm saying. He's Derek, on, you, had a cardiac. Yeah, you had a cardiac event today yeah, because heart rates don't too. take 20 minutes to start to recover. 
Recently saw my systolic blood pressure was 156 resting when giving blood eight days prior. I also wore a hoodie and might have been overheated. Is this a possible health concern or is this normal? Sounds like a guy who. It sounds like a hypochondriac. Sounds to me. like a guy who knows he's six feet, five <laughs> inches tall. Six foot, 0.5 inches tall, 240 pounds, and is only squatting 270. Yeah. What I think is that you need to keep training and quit worrying about all this other stupid shit and uh, put your shoes on and tr- learn how to squat correctly and keep your knees back. Stay out of your knees. More horizontal back angle, less knees forward, all the standard shit over and over and over again. We've addressed hundreds of thousands of times and quit worrying about all this other shit. And uh, you're 240. I don't even think you need to clean your diet. Your diet up, your two, four. You just need to. The thing he needs to do is is start worrying he, he about things that are important, like adding weight to the bar. I mean, you can tell him, by you can tell by his email when he says, uh, I, "I was using my quads too much." When yeah, he says, I, "I I thought this and this happened." It's it's just there's, there's too many irrelevant details in there. Right. That, that he's matter. obviously dwelling he's on. Dwelling on. Right. All right. So here's what I would do. I would up my protein, drop my carbs a little bit. I would uh, video every one of my workouts. You don't mention a training partner. I would check your videos against the form check videos that we review on the website all the time. And shut up and add five pounds to every one of these workouts and start getting stronger instead of worrying about why you can't. Is that reasonable? okay hello rip i've been having problems determining how much volume i need to continue making progress while at the same time trying to avoid feeling beat up and tired all the time yes well you know why without reading any of the rest of this (laughs) i don't feel like reading any of the rest of this what's happening is you're doing too many sets and reps you're not getting enough food, and you've swallowed this volume bullshit. Just do the program. You know what our program is? That's the one we like. The one we tell you to do, that's the one we want you to do, and that would be the answer to my question, all right, is get practical programming. Read about the programs. There are a couple of versions of it that are discussed in practical programming that aren't discussed in the blue book. And the answer is in there. If you're doing more volume, which is tonnage, than we tell you to do, then you're fucking up. Okay? I didn't tell you to do that. Someone else told you to do that. Someone else that doesn't know as much about this as I do. Okay? Now, uh... Oh, this comes up occasionally. What music do you like to listen to during a workout? When, when I go under my work set, I turn the radio off. Here, here's the thing about getting older. When you get older, and this, this happens to everybody as they get older. Some people have more 
problem with it than others, but more when when you get older, you are less able to tune out noise and sounds and audio input than you are when you're younger. And I don't want to hear the shit. I've got a job to do under the bar that that if I do it correctly, I'll keep from getting hurt, and that if I'm distracted, I'll hurt myself. So I turn the radio the fuck off on my work sets. Now, I don't know how old you are. I don't know. But all this emphasis on training to a bunch of music, that indicates to me that you're not devoting sufficient focus to the physical movement task that you've assigned yourself under a heavy bar. If you can listen to Pantera yelling and screaming while you're trying to squat, you're not thinking about your squat and the movement pattern. You're not thinking about it. I don't see how you can. I certainly can't. You can't listen to Dimebag shred through a solo. Shred through a solo. And Dimebag Daryl, man. Remember back when we lost Dime? I do. I do. We lost well. Dime. Very sad. What a great guy. Very sad. Very sad. He's a great guy. Bree, you should try not listening to music. Maybe Probably help. not, but <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth, worth a, a try. try. Fucking tried everything worth else, Worth a right? try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That next question was intolerably stupid. So, can't read it. All right, here's an interesting injury question. I've never heard of this happening before. This guy's 60. Uh, started started strength through 5 by 3 up in Baltimore with the Sokolinskis. I suffered a complete proximal hamstring tear in 2016 while mountain biking, which took some months before proper diagnosis. A complete proximal hamstring tear. Off the ischial tuberosity. I've never heard of that happening. And then didn't know about it? For and didn't know about it, apparently. I just hurt real bad. But Shit. my God, how do you not know what you've done? You know? Uh, extended time resulted in remarkable hamstring retraction. I bet it did. That thing <laughs> must have balled up down in the middle of his femur. He's like, I it wonder was, what this giant knot is behind the back of my leg. But then he says it was successfully repaired surgically, but required an allograft extension from a cadaver. I didn't know they did that. So I'm learning all kinds of interesting shit here. It's fully healed with complete strength and motion. I'm concerned about moving much over my body weight with deadlifts due to potential rupture of the repair. But you just got through saying it was com- fully healed with complete strength and motion. Right. Uh, but he's concerned about potential rupture of the repair. I do feel a sensation after deadlifting, but no pain. Wanted to check if you had any experience training like individuals or better exercise recommendations. Uh, kind of weird that that happened mountain biking, right? That's a short I, he must have, It must have been a result of a fall. Yeah, right. Must have been something happened after he came off the bike. Yep. Doesn't say, but that's I can't see a mechanism. Oh for yeah, it. he said yeah, yeah. He said right, not during mountain biking, but he said mountain biking. Yeah, while mountain biking. Yeah. So I I don't know. Yeah. Either way, the statement it was successfully repaired is fully healed with complete strength and motion. He's concerned about moving much over his body weight. He weighs two ten. 
There's nothing magical about your body weight. Where are you deadlifting now? 185? Next workout, 190. Next workout, 195. And then 200. And then 205. And then 210. And then 215. And that'll be over your body weight. But guess what? It's only five pounds more than the last workout. It's not relative to your body weight. Your body weight doesn't matter. What's relevant is the previous workout. Now, don't go from 210 to 275 like a dumbass, but you weren't going to do that anyway, were you? You go up five pounds. What's relevant is the weight on the bar, not your body weight. The ortho doctor, he means the orthopedic doctor. You only save five letters. <laughs> Just go ahead and say orthopedic. Didn't want me to do any weight training. But, you know, doctors, yes, we do. So, John, if your statement that you've got complete strength and motion, range of motion is correct, and this is years ago, 16, five years ago, uh, if you don't want to go up deadlift more than your body weight, that's just an arbitrary number that you decided on, not your repaired hamstring. You know, you're 60. You're not going to deadlift 500 anyway. You know. Uh, the thing to remember is that we're going up five pounds. Not what you weigh today. All right? Now, this one's pretty weird. Many people have a tibia longer than the other or even a femur longer than the other. But my... Left tibia is longer than his right tibia, and his right femur is longer than his left femur. Jeez. So he's completely ass backwards. Wow. I wonder how that happened. Inbreeding. I, yeah, one short tibia, one short femur. His, yeah, apparently his mother was married to her brother or something like that. <laughs> I'm just speculating on that. I don't mean to insult either one of them. I mean, if you want to marry your sister, it's fine with That's me. Fine. I don't care. But yeah. This, but shit like this happens. That's the result. Uh, so, uh, and uh, he only recently realized this. He's had back pain. Uh, pain in the back, left, side. This is, all right, this is one of these fucking deals that I can't help you with from a written paragraph i just have to see what's going on you know this is the same thing as like dealing with an amputee you know we deal with amputees quite successfully but there aren't any generalizations that we can make for complicated alterations in anthropometry like this it just depends on what's going on i would have to see you standing in front of me because this is complicated and I can't visualize it. I'd have to see you standing in front of me and put you with an even stance and then vary the stagger and see which one produces the, the greatest amount of symmetry in the movement. It might be a combination of shims. I don't know. You can't. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, this is the kind of thing you, you can't, can't give do. a specific, uh, specific advice, but you can say you've got to minimize rotation. You've got to minimize... 
You, Any movement of the hip. What you have to bottom. do is try to make whatever ne- is necessary happen to keep your pelvis as level as possible and as front to back parallel to the frontal plane as possible. Right. So you've got this to deal with and you've got that to deal with. Whatever it takes to do that, you're just going to have to experiment with it and see what happens. It's going to take somebody that's standing there observing you, helping you make these helping you make these corrections. But the idea in, a, in correcting a squat like this is to return as much anthropometric symmetry to the bottom position of the squat as possible so that you don't hurt yourself. Right. And I can't do that here at the desk. Okay. Oh, man, we're coming to the end here. This is, this is, uh, no, this is two questions. So it's not one of these egregious, big, long, three-page training consultation things that we don't training do. History. Yeah, all this. No, this is a, right, this is a, this is, oh, boy, this is going to be good. My 35-year-old wife has been weight training for about six months. When she recently went in for routine blood work, her ALT and AST enzymes were high. About one and a half to two times the max range. The doctor advised her to abstain from alcohol. <laughs> Retest. And they came back elevated again at about the same level. Well, did she abstain Well, she fucked up and abstained from alcohol. <laughs> you know why he told her that, right? No. Because to, to, because to just a doctor who's a glorified nurse... These two goddamn enzymes are liver enzymes, and liver means alcohol. Just, uh, just that's pretty uh, insulting. The just knee jerk reactions. Pretty right? insulting. The nurses, what you just said there. Nurse, nurse, any nurse no worth a fuck no is insulted by that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. All right, so. Uh, she mentioned the weight training to her doctor, who then said that weight training might be affecting enzymes. Hmm. Might be, right? He advised her to take two weeks off training and retest. Two weeks off training and retest. Because if the numbers are wrong and something good is causing the numbers to be wrong, that good thing's actually bad. Because the numbers have to be where I want them to be. I don't really understand them. <laughs> All I understand is the reference range that's provided to me by the manufacturers of the machine <laughs> that's doing the, the evaluation. We have the results back. ALT has been normal. AST was now only slightly elevated. Her doctor advised her to take one to three months off training. And then we'd retest again wow. to confirm that her enzyme levels we're back in the normal range. All right. I'm appreciative that the doctor has not tried to do a biopsy at this point. <laughs> but one to three months off of training seems excessive. What do the kids say? You think? <laughs> kids say that, right? <laughs> I'm guessing you're familiar with this phenomenon. Yes, I am familiar with this phenomenon. It's the phenomenon of stupid fucking uneducated doctors. That's what's the phenomenon here. 
If liver enzymes are due, elevated due to weight training, is there any cause for concern? All right, let's talk about this. I don't even know if we've discussed this before, but ALT and AST are both transaminase enzymes. They previously on blood tests were referred to as SGOT, serum glutamic oxaloacetics, serum glutamic oxaloacetic transaminase. And SGPT is a different transaminase enzyme. So these enzymes are secreted not just in the liver, but in all organ systems when damage and repair is taking place because the body is repurposing one enzyme, one, one protein, is trans, uh, it, it applies a transaminase enzyme, which is, affects an amino acid, to remodel into another protein. So anytime there's damage in the liver, there's going to be transaminase activity as the liver tries to repair itself. What about muscles? I'm not particularly concerned with your liver uh, because, you know, it's just, it's, your muscles repair themselves through the same protein reassembly processes that your liver and your heart and your lungs and everything else that gets damaged and repairs itself which is a handy thing for it to be able to do, uh, uses. These transaminase enzymes are how protein remodeling take place. All right. Uh, SGOT, SGOP, SGPT are normally elevated when you are sore. They're normally elevated after a workout. That's normal. They're supposed to be elevated. If they're twice as high as normal, that's normal, quote, unquote, the reference range, that's normal. Because how did they determine the reference range? Did they go down to the gym and get everybody out of the gym who's training their ass off and take them in and average them out for the reference range? No. The reference range is determined by the sedentary population. And the only thing the sedentary population typically has to remodel is their liver. And that's why your silly-ass, unprepared, uninformed doctor still thinks, after all these decades of knowing what we know about this, that an elevated liver enzyme, quote-unquote, indicates that she's drinking too much. This is medical malpractice you should not pay that bill this is bullshit that that in that opinion is worth absolutely not the gasoline it took to drive to the goddamn office that day <laughs> this kind of shit is so frustrating it's so fr- how does how is it that a gym owner knows more about this physiology than this genius who graduated from medical school, Yeah, who's not even able to think through what a reference range even means or how it was obtained, what an enzyme is or what it does. You know, how one thing may look one way, but is actually another way. 
you're completely unfamiliar with that, doctor? And this guy's in charge. Yeah. And and not only that, giving very authoritative advice. Oh, God. Telling yeah. her what to do. Why at all? Stop training for three months. Yeah, after all, yeah. he is a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get a better doctor. What does she need a doctor for? She's 35. She's trainable away. She's perfectly healthy. What does she need a doctor for? You fucked up. You guys fucked up. You went to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor unless there's arterial bleeding <laughs> or and a coma. Maybe, maybe <laughs> if you're in a coma, you ought to go to the doctor, all right? <laughs> if blood is going, <laughs> <laughs> then you need to go to the doctor. But <laughs> don't... <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. This is another medical situation. Hi, Rip. I'm a 26-year-old male from the UK. Well, he's fucked. The British Public Health Service is his source. Yeah. I'm 5'11", 198. He says 90 kilos. We don't use pounds here, but I happen to know that 90 kilos is 198 pounds. And have hereditary elevated blood pressure, 144 over 90. Well, I don't know how you know that for sure. Uh, especially considering the shitty-ass ways that doctors determine whether or not you're hypertensive. You know, if you... If the... If the nurse took the blood pressure with the wrong size cuff, it's the date is bad. Date is always bad. All right, cardiologist is not concerned. That's good. If the reason he's not concerned is because he knows that, or he's not concerned because he doesn't have time to be concerned. All right, uh, he's not concerned by that, but is checking a case of an aortic aneurysm aneurysm, and I'm awaiting the results of my echocardiogram. My father has an aortic aneurysm, meaning that I have an increased chance of an enlarged aorta as well. I've read Starting Strength article, Heavy Lifting and Heart Health, where there's a paragraph at the bottom, at the bottom saying in some populations the risk may not be worth the benefit. For instance, people with prominent aortic aneurysms are significantly higher risk for aortic dissection uh, than is the general population. That's certainly true. All right. First off, you don't know if you got an aortic aneurysm or not. The fact that your father has an aortic aneurysm may or may not mean that you have aneurysms, and it may or may not mean that, they, that the specific location of the aneurysm is you're in your aorta. All right. People who get aneurysms have a connective tissue defect, and that's system-wide, okay? You might have one in your head, for God's sakes. The, uh, the last I heard, the, the instances, the instance of occurrence, incidence of occurrence of aneurysms in the population, general population is 5%. So you got a room of 100 people, five people in the room got an aneurysm. 
and they probably don't know it. And they'll probably die with it, and it's not ever a concern. You don't know, all right, whether you have an aneurysm, and you certainly as hell don't know whether you have an aortic aneurysm until the echo gets back. Now, let's say you've got an aortic aneurysm. And let's say the amount of distension of that aortic aneurysm is, is measurable and it's growing over the course of a year. It needs to be repaired. I don't know if the British Public Health Service will agree with that or not. But I don't want to be walking around with an aortic aneurysm that's unrepaired. It's, you know, what's it going to do? Get better? They don't heal, you know. They're a defect. And they don't heal. And you can take this for what it's worth. If it was my uh, situation... I wouldn't worry about it at all until the echocardiogram came back. And if you've got an aneurysm, I would talk to them about when they want to fix it. Not if they want to fix it, but when they want to fix it. Uh, there's, you know, probably some disagreement with that, but I don't know that I'd want to walk around with the damn thing. Uh, my buddy Cardell died of the, that very situation. That very situation, he had a family history of aneurysm on his mother's side, and it killed him. The surgery killed him. Actually, he contributed quite a bit to that himself, but nonetheless, I would uh, uh, I would want it fixed. But by the same token, you don't know, and he doesn't know either. So everybody just needs to calm the fuck down, all right? And uh, that's about... Uh, I mean, he lifts he lists his lifts here. He's squatting 175 kilo, which is about 400. He deadlifting about, oh, looks like about 430 benches, about you know, 300. Uh, I certainly wouldn't quit training under these circumstances. Uh, but, uh, no, I think you, I don't think there's any circumstances under whether you discontinue lifting weights. I think there's a conversation about whether you have the aortic aneurysm repaired because that will eventually kill you. The only consolation is, is when it happens, it happens quickly. Okay. And, you know, I don't know, much people are going to criticize me for giving medical advice, but it's just been my experience that when something is real seriously ass wrong with you, you want to have it fixed if it's fixable. Because uh, that's one thing you want off your mind. You want to be able to live your life without having to worry about if you're going to die in the parking lot of the store this afternoon. That's a burden to carry around, and I wouldn't want it. Your, you know, your decision. So I guess that's all uh, of our Q&A today. See the monkey? That'll be a monkey's butt. So, all right. You folks join us again next Friday on Starting Strength Radio, and until then... We'll see you.